0: here before we get into our conversation with Pastor Daryl Crouch. Uh, First of all, it's Veterans Day, and so I just want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If uh, if you or any member of your family have served in the U.S. Armed Forces, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, So this is a little gift from the nation. We are, uh, we are all genuinely grateful for each and every individual who has served in the U.S. military. And starting today, um, U.S. Armed Forces men, members, veterans from every branch of the U.S. Armed Forces, as well as Gold Star families, uh, not only have free access today to all national parks, but free access to all national parks for life. So that's pretty cool. All right. So there you go. That's a it's kind of a fun headline this morning, on a fairly serious topic, which is, which is Veterans Day. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and then I want to turn our attention to a much anticipated re- report out of the Vatican, following uh, an investigation of former Washington D.C. Cardinal McCarrick. You will, um, you will recall that um, Cardinal McCarrick. I mean, it's the it's substantial abuse. I, I don't even know how to quite chronicle um, the deeds of this uh, defrocked Catholic cardinal. Um, the report is 449 pages long. Suffice it to say, I have not read it in its entirety. I have read excerpts of it. Um, we will take this up more fully in the days that lie ahead if it's of substantive interest to people. Um, but let me, let me say this, um, the abuse that this individual perpetrated while serving the Church of Jesus Christ is appalling and heartbreaking, and apologies are owed to those who came forward and told the Church about the abuse. And yet, um, the church did nothing. So there has been a two-year investigation uh, by the Vatican. The The Vatican took the extraordinary step yesterday of publicly publishing this 449-page report. And uh, suffice it to say, they, uh, they lay the lion's share of the blame on Pope John Paul II, who appointed McCarrick Archbishop of Washington in the year 2000, even though, even though there had been an inquiry um, confirming that he had abused um, seminarians, people preparing for the Catholic ministry. Um, he, he also um, sexually molested adults and children, according to uh, the report. So here's what I want to say about all of these things. Um, while it is heartbreaking and gut-wrenching, it does not leave us paralyzed. And I, and I want to say that today. Um, yes, this is horrifically damaging to the individuals involved. It is also damaging to the body of Christ and her witness in the world. And so today, as you are processing this headline, as you are engaging in the conversations of the day, this being one of them, let me remind you, let us be someone safe to tell. These stories stir up within those who have been abused, the desire and the need to tell. But they wonder whether or not it is safe to tell, and they wonder whether or not we are people who are safe to tell. So today, be someone who is safe to tell. And if you have suffered abuse, I encourage you, I invite you, tell someone safe. We have um, an extraordinary number of resources related to this subject matter. We recently talked with Jennifer Greenberg about Not Forsaken. She has a free downloadable shepherd's guide um, for church leaders. We also uh, talked with her about her testimony. We have resources related to Becoming a Church That Cares Well for the Abused. We've had conversations about it. I could direct you to netgrace.org. I could direct you to uh, Attorney Kimberly Norris, whom we've also talked with here on the program. We have testimonies um, that we have heard from abuse survivors. Susan Codone talked with us and gave us the 10 things that churches need to do. We've heard the testimony of Megan Lively. We have the resources posted from Diane Langbird. We have heard from Justin Holcomb and Autumn Miles. We have heard from Lila Wazgala on this topic and abuse survivor Linda Gibson. We have talked with Pastor Philip Bethencourt Friends, we have talked about this topic. We have tilled the soil. You know how to be a person who is safe to tell. Let me encourage you today to point to this report, share the grief, and see if there's not someone in your sphere of influence who needs to tell what happened to them today. Next up, I'm going to talk with Pastor Daryl Crouch from the Green Hill Church and the Cross Tide blog. We're going to talk about shepherding, in the midst of this political season, that's up next here on Morning with Carmen. Oh, I've seen fire and I've seen rain, seen sunny days that I thought would never end. Joining me now, Pastor Daryl Crouch from the Green Hill Church. You can find him at the CrossTide blog um daryl welcome back it's been a while since we've uh since we've talked
1: a lot's happened it's good to be with you carmen
0: a lot has happened a lot has happened we have um uh we have moved into and not quite through um election season i've moved from calling it election day to calling it election season because it's uh feels like hunting season it goes on it goes on for a while
1: it does i yeah i think of it like hockey season i don't i don't know that there's ever <laughs> an end to it so um but but that's just me.
0: Okay, let's talk about pastoring in these days. um you and I have both read a, a couple of pieces um posted at the gospel coalition um let's Let's just start with you know the tools that we do have um for living together peaceably in the most divisive of days.
1: Well, I think it's really important those are great pieces by the way they do they do good work and um so I think for us to be reminded of who we are in Christ, that we are a people of God, and that uh, we are a part of this uh, present kingdom in in the sense that we have been called here to this time and place, but we are residents of another kingdom, uh, one that's eternal. And I think for us to uh, step into who we are in Christ, who we are in community, and um, what we are as salt and light in the world is still just as important as ever before. And so election results. Don't bind the gospel. Election results don't um, uh, exaggerate the gospel. Even uh, if you're—I've said it before—if if your candidate won, all is not well, and if your candidate lost, um, uh, all is not all is not lost. And so, um, I think it's important for us to have a, a kingdom perspective and step into a spiritual disciplines of Bible reading and prayer and community and uh, gospel proclamation, all those things that we know are so important. And, um, and, and to think on the things that are in in good and right, and to fill our mind and saturate our hearts with the word of God and, uh, trust the spirit of God to fill us and lead us. And so I think those things sound a bit, uh, old fashioned or traditional or whatever they are, but uh, they're as important as eating and breathing and sleeping, uh, to our bodies. Uh, that there is important to, uh, to our souls.
0: The fact that they sound old-fashioned and traditional um, is a, I think, a really healthy reminder that just because something is new or avant-garde does not actually mean it is gospel-aligned. Um, and I do think, Daryl, that there has there is a necessary calling us back to to the realities of not only who God is but um, who we are in light of the gospel. And there is no longer this sort of go along to get along Christianity in America. Like there is a there is a distinctiveness to being a Christian today that has not necessarily been true in the years that being culturally Christian has um, uh, has been a social positive. And so I do. It, it is an interesting time. It it is an opportunity. Um, conversations are being provoked. The um, the statement that you made that you know if your candidate won, all is not well. And if your candidate lost, all is not lost. Um, I have had almost that. I didn't say it quite that well, but I have had that kind of conversation where, you know, someone is literally wringing their hands. I'm like, hey, um, you're a saved person, right? I mean, like, your identity is not red or blue, right? I mean, like, you know, so pressing people into the gospel in these days is. Um, is kind of, is a is, is a unique privilege for us.
1: It really is. And when when Paul told the Philippians, for example, and he 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 speaks like this to other letters in other letters as well. But when he wrote to the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, he there were no parentheses there except when your candidate loses, or except when you lose your job, or except we we understand that there's pain in the world, and so we're not minimizing that at all. And Paul didn't, but he connected uh, our worship our our sense of thanksgiving, our joy with the soul uh, work that God does in us and the the person that Jesus is in us. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Uh, not, uh, th- that does not rest in our circumstances or in who's in office or how well people are behaving or any of that. Christ in you is the hope of glory. So he ties this sense of rejoicing to this soul work, and uh, rather than to our circumstances. And so I think for us to, to tap the brakes a little bit and say, who, who am I and what has, what has really taken place when I moved from death to life, when I exchanged my life for Christ's life, something literally happened. It was a spiritual transformation, so you can't see it tangibly all the time, but there was something literal that took place when I exchanged my life for Christ's life. And that plays itself out in every circumstances of our, of our lives, whether in the public square or in our personal family life or in our church work or whatever it may be. And so I think for us to, to ask some of those questions of who I am in Christ and what difference does he make in my life today? And how can, I, how can I step deeper into this with him? And it is, and I would say, just to ping off of your comment, I would say this is a wonderful opportunity. A Christian should not be despairing today no matter how you feel about the election or or whatever the results uh, end up being. But the the fact of the matter is that this is not a time for despair. This is this is our moment. Uh, This is the moment that uh, we can live distinctly.
0: Amen. All right. Daryl Crouch and I will be right back. Um, We're going to continue our conversation and um, we might pivot to whether or not we actually need more information or whether Mm. or not we might have enough information to operate on right now. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
1: There's
2: always a reason to always choose joy. There's something deeper that the world can't destroy. Smile when you think...
0: Continuing my conversation with Pastor Daryl Crouch of the Green Hill Church. Um, he blogs at Crosstide. crosstide dot what. I don't have it in front of me. This is always what dot. listeners are thinking yeah, to cross-tide. themselves.
1: Dot org. It's okay. Carmen yeah.
0: is only marginally prepared. That's what they're thinking right now. Anyway, so um, Crosstide.org. Um, all right, Daryl, um, information. We live in the information age. Um, you know, frankly, I feel like I live in an information tsunami. Um, there, is, there is no lack of quote-unquote information. And the challenge that I face is to sort through it and determine what is actually true. So there is discernment involved and, um, and there is a lack of wisdom uh, uh, in the world today. Uh, talk with us about not only um, who we are as consumers of information and those who pass information along to others. Um, and I want it to be true. Like I want to only pass along to others that which is true. And I have a hard time sometimes figuring that out.
1: Wow. We could do this a long time, couldn't we? So yeah. the, um, I think that's uh, the way that we consume information and the way that we listen to others, whether through the written word or through the spoken word, is in a subcategory of spiritual disciplines. And I think we we have to understand that this is not disconnected from our the soul work that we do or the soul care that we have every day in our lives and, and the the living out of the Christ life in us. And so so words matter, information matters. We are shaped by the books we read and the people we know. We've heard that forever. We know that um, so much of the way that we think is determined by the the information that we consume. And so when the Bible tells me to guard my heart, uh, I, I think this speaks to that very issue. Uh, Paul wrote to the Colossians. He said, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That word richly means to the fullest. It's an abundant word. It's a, it's a real extravagant kind of reality. And so the, the word of Christ should be uh, richly dwelling in us, should be abundantly um, uh, filling our lives. And so, uh, but it, we can't, that won't happen if we're f- abundantly filling our lives with uh, other information. And sometimes that information may not be super uh, accurate or uh, edifying. It may not be true. And so I think for us to have some discernment about uh, the the sources of information, the amount of information that we allow to come into our minds, into our eyes, into our hearts, and uh, I think all of those things, sometimes Christians can think those are secondary issues or those are issues that aren't primary to my walk with Christ. But in this age, when we're in front of screens for hours on end during the day, taking in information, from various, and for various reasons and from various sources, we have to ask ourselves, what is, what is richly dwelling in us? And is it the Word of God, or is it something else? And so I think for Christians to understand this connection between what I'm consuming and who I'm becoming is super important.
0: All right. I took a lot of notes um, as you were saying that, and so thank you. Um, wisdom is in tragically hard-to-find rare supply today. Although there are really mature, wise Christians to whom we all should be listening, could be listening, I think the challenge is that the squawkers and the hawkers are, are loud and proud and pressing mm, and mm. and get all of the attention how do i how do i discover and spend time with some of those still voices some of those calm waters some of those deep wells
1: well i think we have to first acknowledge that we really like the squawkers i mean mm. we our sinfulness our fleshly our fleshiness uh, we like to watch that stuff. Our eyes gravitate to the uh, alarmist. Uh, We gravitate, some of us, to conspiracy theories and so on. We like to think that there's more to the story. Uh, It's sort of like watching a car wreck. We don't want to see it, but we can't take our eyes off of it. And so um, I think we have to acknowledge that in of ourselves, that we are humans who are sinful and fallen and that our just because we have an appetite for that doesn't mean that we have to partake of that. And so I think to begin with, we have to just acknowledge what's true about those sources of information. The other thing is that we we, we have some choices to make about who we silence in our lives. And so if somebody is negative online, for example, I know social media is our our playground now and it's a huge place to to, to find this information. So if we find that the people that we're listening to are always negative and critical, I wouldn't want to be in the same room with those people all day long. I wouldn't want to build intimate friendship with those people all day long. So it may be that I just stop reading their material as well. And also I think to think about these people behind their words, what kind of life do they live? I know the, the question I used to ask, I still ask it, but I have fewer occasions now, but para-church ministries and people who are in the Christian ministry but not in the church world, uh, the question's always from a pastor's perspective is, what church do you attend? Are you involved in a small group? Uh, so I think those are good questions for those people that we're reading um, in, in the airways and on social media. Are they a part of a local church family? Are they involved in Sunday school or life groups or whatever they call that small group ministry? Are they serving through their local church in practical ways that won't make a headline? And so I, I want to know who these people are that I'm listening to and what kind of, you know, as much as I can, what kind of uh, robust faith that they have and, and how that's lived out in a practical way. So I, I think for us to, to be honest with ourselves about our propensity to, to gravitate to um um, to to the, to the radical and to to the snarky and, and to the sarcastic and to the alarmist, we, we have a propensity to that. We click on that. that's why it's called clickbait. Uh, they, we, we know that uh, we're, we're bent that way, but then also to to be wise about the people that we're allowing to speak into our lives.
0: Daryl, thank you. Um, thank you for being uh, a voice of faithful reason. We genuinely appreciate it. Uh, thanks for joining us again today. You guys, check out what Daryl's writing at crosstide.org. Um, and, you know, let me just say that if you are in a season where you are disconnected from the local church, um, this is a time to get reconnected. Churches are offering um, entry points online that uh, are unusual in this season, um, but they it does provide a way for you to visit a lot of churches and... Um, and find a gospel preaching faithful pastor not only whose teaching you can sit under, um, but whose shepherding you can uh, you can really be built up in. So Daryl, thank you for um, thank you for joining us today on mornings with Carmen. really appreciate it. Yeah. We'll be right back. So we do uh, need to sift through some political headlines, and nobody better to do that with than Dr. Hunter Baker from Union University. We're gonna we're gonna talk about a little bit about the news media. We're gonna get an update on the makeup of Congress, a few um, a few races uh, being confirmed. Uh, it, it's just, it's a it's an interesting time to talk about the body politic and our role in it as dual citizens of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdoms of this earth. So next up, Dr. Hunter Baker we will be right back. I've
1: never met a person who didn't want to be cool. In fact, I've never met anybody who didn't crave acceptance. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Today's social networking and access to the internet only fans the flame of that age-old desire to impress others. Now kids can strut their stuff to a watching world with a click of a mouse. And if you know teens, you know they're prone to exaggeration. Keep an eye on your child's online activities. Be sure to monitor images your child is sharing and others that might cause problems or damage relationships. Don't allow being cool online to move in an inappropriate direction for your son or daughter. It's our job to protect our kids even when they can't see into the future.
2: Want to hear Mark in person? For a list of upcoming
1: events, go to parentingtodaysteens.org. That's parentingtodaysteens.org.
0: Joining me now, Dr. Hunter Baker from Union University. Hey, welcome back. Hey there. I feel like it's been a while since we've talked. I, I don't know if that's actually true or if life has just – there's just been a lot of it in the last couple of weeks.
2: The usual two yeah. weeks, I think.
0: Whew. Man, it's been uh, – <clears throat> there's a lot. There's a lot of soil to till today. Um, let's start with the, with the media, um, the way the media has behaved, not only in the midst of the election, but, um, but since the election or, the, or maybe in the election that continues
2: yeah, the uh, I mean, we've had a lot of changes in media over the past, I would say, 20 years, and I think that the changes have accelerated. Uh, the biggest one that I can think of is that uh, the media has become uh, extremely adversarial, um, particularly with Trump. I mean, we think about uh, Trump obviously brings a lot of heat on himself in terms of the way he acts, but it's hard to think of a president in my lifetime uh, who has had the consistent um, consistent uh, glare uh, of the media upon him, uh, never supportive, uh, than, there, than has been the case with Trump. Uh, I think about, for example, I think there's been a headline that was basically invented for Trump, and I've seen it over and over again during his time in office. Without evidence, Trump claims, you know, X, Y, or Z. Now, I never saw that used for anybody else without evidence, uh, but it was commonplace with Trump. And the reason I point that out is because typically, if you say someone claims something, then we understand there there might not be evidence for it, right? It's a claim. <laughs> but but that use of that phrase, without evidence, you know, particularly strong. Uh, with regard to Trump, so I think that I think a lot of people in media have stopped having the sense that they're supposed to play it down the middle, be cool, reserved, uh, and instead to help the reader to understand stories, which sometimes means help them to understand that they're supposed to not like this political figure.
0: So I I have started using different um, words to describe people who are writing, and if they are not actually reporting, which very few of them are doing, very few – I think that's the point that you're making. Very few journalists are reporting information. They are instead – I'll use the word analysis here, although I think that is uh, – most of the time they're just bloviating – Um, But I will use the term analysis to suggest that they are offering um, a version of information that is filtered through their own worldview, and then they are offering that to the reader. So that is more commentary than it is news reporting, and I just think people need to be very aware of the difference um, because it is significant.
2: I, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, my uh, my wife is not a political person, but she often complains to me that she can't find any news. Uh, and what she means by that is just straight reporting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that I think that I really believe that there would be tremendous interest in newspaper uh, and uh, television reporting, if people felt like it was kind of right down the middle, not biased. Uh, But what's happened is, is that with first cable and then Internet, uh, there's a sense that everybody is entitled to the news that fits their own biases. And uh, the media has figured out that's actually the easiest way to make money is to confirm people's biases. And so that's what we see.
0: Mm hmm. Absolutely. Um, all right. Let's uh, let's talk about a little bit of the makeup of the incoming U.S. Congress. Um, we certainly have a, a difference down ballot than we have uh, in terms of the voting at the top of the ballot. So the top of the ticket. So talk with us a little bit about what you observe there.
2: Well, just that uh, it seems to be the case for the most part that uh, other Republicans, you know, there, there are a few exceptions. So Martha McSally in Arizona is an exception to this. She ran worse than Trump. For the most part, the Republican Party candidates ran a little bit better than Trump. And uh, my suspicion is I, I think that probably what you're seeing there is that, uh, that that's where the never Trumpers. Uh, voted against the president, or didn't vote for the president, but did vote for Republicans down ballot. That's what I would imagine.
0: I, I think that's ex- I think that's exactly right. Um, and and so I think it provokes an interesting conversation about the future of the GOP, uh, of the the future of the Republican Party. Um, I I see a contest coming on actually both sides of the aisle. I see a contest emerging um, among Democrats. Who we're already seeing evidence that some of the most progressive Democrats are uh, openly pressing president-elect uh, Biden toward an agenda that uh, I think most Democrats are not supportive of. I mean, I think they're I think the progressive left is going to really, really, really push him. Um, and then I think in the GOP, there's a kind of a contest for, you know, the soul of the party. However, one defines that.
2: Clearly, I mean, uh we we tend to think now of ronald reagan as mr republican you know he's he's the guy that that republicans for a long time that's who they wanted to be like but uh if we go back ronald reagan was actually kind of a a new face with new ideas in the republican party uh before him um somebody like nelson rockefeller um in new york was maybe kind of uh a real possibility as the face of the party. And that's, that is a very different kind of a Republican and Reagan, Reagan totally displaced that and kind of remade the party in his image. The question is, has Trump done the same with the Republican party now? Uh, now when Reagan did it, it's because he was, uh, he had two successful terms, uh, and won the cold war basically uh with trump it's just one term, but it's a it's a very consequential term um in terms of policy there's a lot he got done, and of course three supreme Court justices and uh and let's not forget that he just achieved the second highest vote total of anyone who has ever run for president <laughs> in the United States. It just happens that Joe Biden got more. Uh, so there's there's a lot out there, uh, you know, some very close margins in a lot of states where Republicans uh, in the past uh, were not were not winning or close to winning. So it's a question as to whether someone can uh, be the new Trump in the Republican Party and maybe find a way to push some of the Trump ideas with a uh, with a more diplomatic personality. And, of course, then there's the other question of whether a, m- a more diplomatic personality would would get across the way Trump does. I mean he's offensive to a lot of people, but I think there are other people who would ignore politics, but he gets their attention uh, through his sort of unique style.
0: All right. Dr. Hunter Baker and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. We may actually um, dip our toe in the water of how to kill a democracy, and then I might ask – how do you save one? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I again,
1: the I believe, I believe a
0: no, All right. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Hunter Baker from Union University. Um, Hunter, uh, I think when we start talking about what we could expect in a Biden presidency, um, should, you know, should the outcome be what Today, it looks like the outcome will be in in this presidential election. Um, uh, Biden has already posted uh, on his website things that he intends to do right away. Um, And some of those are going to be very troubling to people who are pro-life. They're going to be very troubling to people who are concerned about religious liberty. Um, When you sort of survey what you expect um, or what you think we might expect from a Biden presidency, what tops the list?
2: Well, if we go based on the way he ran his campaign, which was a, a pretty quiet, pretty low-level campaign, um, he has to focus on COVID first. Uh, I mean, you know, we have, we have talked about uh, – we've talked about is there a vaccine. I, th- I think there's a vaccine out there now with Pfizer and, uh, you know, whether the, the vaccine and a booster – can basically provide uh, inoculation of the type that we expect with a polio vaccine. That that may be on the horizon fairly soon, but uh, I think that a lot of people who voted for Joe, for Joe Biden did so because he relentlessly emphasized that he was going to crush COVID uh, because uh, the argument is that Trump's response was unsatisfactory. Uh, so I think that's a big thing. Um, that he will focus on. I'm not sure what that looks like, and I'm not sure if you really want to take the risk of crushing the economy along with crushing COVID, but that's another question. Uh, The other question is, you know, he'll go in and he will immediately um, revise some of Trump's executive orders. Uh, So, for example, like with the, uh, the DACA executive order regarding the Dreamers, um, children of illegal immigrants who are in the United States, uh, he will uh, he will seek to cement their status. Um, in terms of uh, in terms of pro life type stuff, yes, he'll will go through that same dance where uh, the Republicans reverse the Democrats, and then the Democrats reverse the Republicans on things like the Mexico City policy and uh, funding of abortions uh, internationally, things like that. So a lot of that is going to happen fairly quickly. We'll have a number of those uh, type of ceremonies, pushing out those, those types of things. But the big question is, will, will the Senate hold as Republican, assuming that those uh, two Georgia senators win their runoffs? And I expect that that will happen. If it does, uh, then Joe Biden is going to be pretty limited. Um, You know, he can do things via executive order, but executive orders can only go so far. And when you're looking at a fairly conservative court, uh, I would say that I would say that Joe Biden's presidency is arguably hamstrung from the start. So I don't expect them to be able to be that ambitious in terms of what they achieve.
0: So I think that's sort of the deep the deep breath that everybody needs to take Um, and the outcome of the runoffs in Georgia um, are really critical uh, in terms of the balance in the U.S. Senate. That's uh, you're going to see a lot of campaigning in the next uh, week in relationship to the the, the senatorial runoffs in the state of Georgia. So, you know, we can all anticipate that is going to dominate portions of the news cycle. And it really does matter um, if we end with a 50-50 uh, balance in the Senate, then the person who is going to be um, ult- in the ultimate seat of power is going to be the vice president of the United States, uh, Kamala Harris. And um, so I just, I, I it, in terms of the presidential election mattering a lot, um, it's going to come down to Georgia.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, and, you know, so this is another place for us to, to realize that we need to have confidence in the election process, and what I mean by that is that i th- I think it has been really troubling to have this uh, this process of of watching ballots be counted <clears throat> days and days after the election. Uh, the reason that's troubling is is that the impression that it makes in the public mind, is that you have a winner on election night uh, who has a margin of victory, and then the other side knows how many votes they have to come up with in order to overcome that. Uh, now, so I am not alleging fraud at all, but I'm saying that it creates the impression uh, of fraud when that happens. I really do not understand uh, why we cannot have a better process than the one that we do. I, it seems to me like that that. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like when you stand in a long line. Uh, it, I can stand in a line of any length if I know that the line has integrity, right? Mm-hmm. If I know that people are not breaking the line, if I know that there's not some advantage to doing the line differently, I can handle the line. The same thing is true with elections. You can stand the result as long as you're sure that uh, it's all transparent, it's all accountable. There's no way to cheat. And right now, a lot of people are insecure about that. And I, I think that it's totally within our power to come up with a better system.
0: What would that – what might that look like? Uh, what might the you – because know, this sort of gets into the, into the conversation of you know how you could kill a democracy or how you could save one. And I do think you're exactly right. Um, I, I can live with e- either outcome. I can live with any outcome as long as I know that the process was fair.
2: Well, at a minimum – the ballots all need to be counted by the same time. Okay? That's the first thing. You can you can do the mail in thing, but you can't do it where the mail ins can arrive <laughs> late, you know, right. after the after the election.
0: Post like postmarked. Yeah. You just, you
2: just you just can't have that. Uh but the other thing is it seems to me, and this will be increasingly possible Uh, that, that there could be some kind of, uh, biometric approach, you know, where we, you're, you're voting with your thumbprint or, or something like that electronically, uh, some kind of encrypted system, something like that, uh, that, that should be available and it should be available sooner rather than later. I mean, they let us pay our taxes, uh, electronically. I think that voting should go that direction.
0: All right. So that, um, I, I mean, I think it has to be revamped. And so we're going to probably have lots of robust conversations about that. I feel confident there's going to be people right now who are going to suggest to me that um, a biometric approach is, you know, too invasive and an encrypted system approach is, you know, too um, uh, too easily monkeyed around with. I mean, I, I just write, the people think it's not fair right now. And so once you get in your mind that something is not fair, um, any suggestion of how it might be made more secure and more fair is just, is just immediately subject to, um, you know, scrutiny that might be beyond our ability to, uh, to say to someone, okay, you can, it can be fair and trans, uh, transparent to a point, but, you actually can't see all 120 million votes or 150 million votes. Like you right. can't see all of them. And that's hard. I just, that's hard for people. They, they, people, they want to see it all right now. And then that's hard. I,
2: but, but I think that can be done electronically. I, th- I think it could easily be done. Now, you know, so that's a bigger debate than we have time for today. Uh, but I think it could easily be done. I think it could be transparent. And I think you could have people from both sides who can see exactly what's going on inside the system. And I, I think you that. could be able to trace back all the votes to all the people.
0: Which would be good. Which would be yes. good. All right. Uh, Hunter, thank you so very much. Blessings on you. Uh, blessings on your people, your students, your family. Um, thank you, as always, for joining us. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Hey, we'll be right back. I just want to confess that my, uh, my life seems to abound right now with, uh, with magnificent Christian women. I just, I, I just feel like I'm, I'm awash in blessings, uh, in terms of that. And I want to, um, I want us to be mindful of the people who we encounter even casually in our churches, um, or in our other ministry settings. um, I want us to be praying specifically for women who are unmarried. Some of them are, you know, longing to be married. So let's be praying today for those sisters in Christ who desire to be wives of godly men. And let's pray today for men to become in Christ the kind of men that are worthy of these women. Um, I have a whole list of them in my Bible uh, at women who are walking worthily and um, and yet currently walking, you know, without um, without a faithful brother in Christ as their spouse. And so I just want to lift that up today as a prayer concern. also want to lift up women whose husbands are chronically ill. I have uh, friends who are in that circumstance and just very, very aware of um, of their need for community and moms of special needs kiddos as well. Those are sort of my three categories of women to be praying for today. All right, friends, uh, we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio.